The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Good evening, everybody. It's a privilege to be back together. And I'd like us to bow our heads and just invite him. That is the heart cry of every one of us. We'd rather have Jesus than anything. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. You haven't brought us here by accident tonight. You brought us because you've drawn our hearts, because we're hungry. We're hungry for you. And would you take and anoint your word tonight? So when we leave our time together, every single one of us will know that we have been with God. We pray tonight that as you came to Cleophas and his friend and opened up the scripture, you would come to us and open up the word of truth to every single one of our hearts. So we are never ever the same again. We're asking you tonight for Operation Transformation. And would you begin in me? Oh, Jesus, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we get ready to prepare our hearts for the next two, for the last three visions, from Zechariah 5 and 6. I would like to have this read from Revelation. (laughs) And I want to start. These are the churches and Revelation that John and the island of Patmos gets a vision from God. A vision, key word. You remember, you've heard that vision before. And this is to the church in Sardis. These things he has, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God, that's indicative of the Holy Spirit, the perfect number, and the seven stars, which are the seven churches. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you're dead. Um, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect. In fact, I before God, remember therefore how you have received what you have received and what you have heard. Hold fast and repent. I think maybe John and Rem Zechariah return to me, and I will return to you. Repent. If therefore, if you will not watch, so he says, be watchful. Strengthen the things which are remain, remember, hold fast and repent and watch. And I will, or I will come to you as a thief in the night and you will not know what hour I come to you. You have, yet you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. They walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will be dressed in white, and I will not blot his or her name out of the book of life, but I will confess her name before my father and before his angels. 
And then if you'll turn over to verse 14. And the angel to the church of the Laodiceans said, These things says the Amen, that's Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were either cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and I've become wealthy and I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments, that you may be clothed. There's that garment, those garments of salvation again, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and keyword repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man or woman, boy or girl, teenager or college kid, young professional, anyone will hear my voice and open the door. I will come into him or her and I will dine with him or her and they will dine with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant with them to sit on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus, would you be, as we, would you ignite the word in our hearts tonight so that it becomes a doorway for Jesus to come? Joy Wiseheart prayed that in an early morning prayer call, and I've not been able to get away from it. Ignite the door, the word, so it becomes a doorway for Jesus. It was very interesting when Al was in England and getting a PhD, and we were there, and I had two small children. Katie Beth was three. Cricket was not quite two. And so Al would bring home, he was doing his work on the 18th century revival with John and Charles Wesley. It was thrilling. Well, he would bring me home key things, books for me to read so I could keep up with some of what he was doing. And it always nourished my soul. Well, one of the books he gave me was um, one about the life of Mary Fletcher. She was the wife of John Fletcher that Wesley thought would be his the man to follow him for the work, revival work, but he actually went to heaven ahead of Wesley. And her testimony was thrilling of how the Lord used her. And my heart was stirred. And in that, she talked about her life first. And her life first, this is Mary Fletcher's life first, was for chapter three, verse four and five. Uh, yeah, you have a few names, even in, and it may not be Sardis. But wherever you and I live, whether it's Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or whether it's Lexington, Kentucky, or whether it's um, Oregon, or Washington State, or California, or New York, who have not defiled their garments, they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. 
He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before my angels. Well, I got so excited about that life first, I taught it to the two little girls. And then I said, this could be our life first together. So we had a whole big lesson and we memorized it. Well, then as the application of the word, I had them draw. So they did stick figures of walking with Jesus dressed in white. Well, of course, as children do, because they always think bigger than we do and a little closer to the kingdom thinking, they included the whole family. So that was Katie Bethan and Cricket. And then Katie Beth had her dad and Al and I in it. Well, Cricket did too. But Kate, Cricket was not quite two. And I never caught Cricket her colors. Not quite yet. So when I looked at their two papers, their little stick figures with all Jesus and the four of us following behind and walking with it. Katie Bess had little white colored in the stick figures in white, but Cricket didn't know her colors and they were all in black. And I didn't know what to do. I thought, oh my goodness, we need a lesson in colors is our next lesson. And I almost get a figure tonight. There was nothing wrong with the motivation of her heart. She just didn't quite know. And I feel tonight, this is what God's saying in these next three visions, especially the next two. It is like he's sharing with us some ways. I talked to you last week. And remember last week, I've got it right behind here where we've got the transformation that comes when God comes and, and he takes the filthy clothes off and replaces the rags and the filth and puts on the white garments of salvation and the turban. This is holiness under the Lord because there's transformed thinking and that he can transform us and change us and that God wants to do that for us. And then it's not my not by might nor by power. He not only wants to cleanse and purify, he wants to fill us. But then it's like, I, I may have to run by this lesson one more time because I'm not quite sure, Beth, you're going to get it unless I really do uh, talk to you a little deeper. And I think that's what he's saying to Zechariah and the people of God. So we start out in five. Then he turned and I raised my eyes. Now tonight for this vision, I don't really need this. Because do you know how big that scroll was for this vision? It was 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. We're in an efficiency apartment in Georgia for the winter. And it is bigger. It is longer than my, uh, my whole apartment. I mean, it was as long as the tabernacle in, uh, that the tabernacle in the wilderness, the, the, the tabernacle and the wilderness, not the court, but the tabernacle was 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. So this is a scroll. And he says here, what does he say? So he said, Zachariah, I want to know if you can see. And he looks up and goes, yes, sir, I think I can see that. <laughs> And he goes, oh, good, you're catching on, you're catching on. <laughs> he said, and I see a flying scroll that's uh, 30 feet by 15 feet, as big as the tabernacle. And he said, this is the curse that goes out over the land. 
over the face of the whole earth. It's not just for Israel, it's for the whole world. And it goes out over the face of the whole earth. And it's an astonishing word that's on this scroll. It says, every thief will be cast out or expelled on one side. And, it's, and then on the other side, it says, every perjurer or liar will be cast out. And I will send a curse, says the Lord of hosts. And the curse will enter the house of every stealer. And it will enter the house of everyone who swears falsely in my name. And it shall remain in the middle of his house and consume it down to the timber and the stones. Ladies, this is a sobering message. Is it not? And I think it's a little bit like sometimes we think we're doing fine. I know that's been true in my life. Has it been true in yours? And when I compare myself among myself, like First Corinthians, <laughs> we compare ourselves among ourselves, but it is not wise. Because when we look this way or we look at the rest of the world, we look quite nice most of the time. And God is saying, wait a minute, there's something here I want you to really address. Because this is almost a particularization of what he says. I want to cleanse and purify your heart. But I've got to get to the place where I deal with the specifics in your life and the specifics in my life. So you are not living in sin that will kill, damn, and destroy not only you, but everybody you love and everybody in your sphere of influence. And that's the next vision. But then he puts it together with the, um, seventh vision the angel who talked with me came out and said to me lift up your eyes now and see so he did and he tried to see and what did he see he said what is it and he said it's a basket and it's going forth out of the, it's going forth and he said this is the resemblance this is the resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up and they lifted up the lead disc from this basket and inside the basket was a woman and her name was wickedness. And then thrust the angel thrust down the lid over the basket, covered it up. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two other women coming for the basket with wings like storks. And they lifted up the basket and they carried the basket between heaven and earth. And I said to the angel who talked to me, what are, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to build a house for it in the land of Shinar which is another plane, it's a plane in Babylon. And he said to build a house for it in the land of Shinar in Babylon, where it is ready, the basket, it is ready and will be set there on a base. It will be set there waiting the judgment of God. 
And just like I said to Jesus, and I know many of you this week as you've done your lesson have said, pardon me, what does this mean? And why even is this a woman? I've had a number of texts like, how come it's a woman? And I said, Jesus, how come it's a woman? <laughs> but you know what? We hear about this woman in Revelation 17 and 18. And it is the harlot, the harlot Babylon, the kingdom. Let me get my point here. So he carried me away in the spirit. This is John. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple, scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones. And she had her, in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornications. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery. Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Because in scripture, Babylon stands for the kingdom of darkness and this kingdom of the evil one, Satan's kingdom. And this is the harlot. The woman is indicative of the harlot, which what does the harlot do? She seduces and entices and draws away. And when you put that together with the vision above it, God is saying, this scroll is so big. Do not let Satan steal from you all the full purposes of God for which he made you and which he thought about you before the foundation of the world. He had each one of us on his heart. He had us engraved on the palms of his hands. Isaiah 49, we looked at last week. Do not let the enemy come and steal that which God is for you. And do not believe the enemy's lies. And in chapter three, when Satan literally shows up to accuse Joshua, the high priest, who's symbolic of the people of God. In this chapter, Satan comes as a harlot, as an enticer, a seducer to draw our hearts away from the purposes of God. So we miss Jesus. And we miss the total reality of who he is and what he died, who, what he died to give us, his life for my life, his life for your life, his purity for my purity. God wants to come. And if we do not see the shenanigans of the evil one, we will believe his lies every time. Just look back at Eve in the garden. <laughs> Created in a beautiful garden. She had every need supplied. There was beauty beyond anything you and I could imagine. Adam has just named all the animals. Can you imagine the fun of naming the duckbill platypus? And naming whales and beluga whales, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine the fun of that? And then, it, but he can't find a, a, a helpmate. Guys, oh, no problem. I'll just take the one and make one, two. So out of your life will come the life of the other, which again is a, 
is a metaphor, is a picture of God's life. I draw my life out of his life. And just like a baby draws his or his or her life out of the mommy's life, there's a life in a life. And he said, and I, and then all of this is yours. And then I've got this beautiful garden so you can just tend it and keep it. Every need supplied and all our emotional needs. And then who shows up in the garden, not part of God's creation, but from outside, from the world beyond is Satan himself. And he comes in the form of a serpent. And they talk about that in Revelation 6. He comes in a form of a serpent to seduce her. And how does he do it? Hmm. He has a conversation about God. And says, hmm. Do you know, is it really true that God said you're not able to eat everything in the garden? And he cast doubt on the character of God. And God had allowed a choice to be made because Jesus is not looking for automats. Jesus is offering an invitation. He is offering an invitation. Will you love me? Because you just want to love me for who I am. And he casts doubts on his character and he casts doubts on the on his best intentions for her. And he goes, you really can't trust God. And lady, she is in paradise. Talk about a lie. But trying to steal from her all the purposes of God and then lying to her as she looks around at paradise and says, oh my, I better... I better think this over. And the only place you can go if you and I turn away from God, who is truth, is you and I enter into who I am and I become my my own God with a small g and I replace the Holy Trinity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the unholy Trinity of me, myself, and I. And the whole book is written so far to say, I'm pro-Novus. I'm for you. I love you. I've actually redeemed you from captivity. I brought you back again. And, And I love you. I have the best intentions for your life. I can restore what the locusts have eaten, the second vision. I can restore it and return and, I, and, and so you, the enemy is cast down. The enemy is destroyed. I can restore what the locusts have eaten. I love that. The horns are defeated and the, the people of God can lift their faces up and the enemy's cast out. And then he said, I can be a wall of fire around you and the glory within and whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. And he says, and you, and he, and then he, and then you get over there. And he said, I can, and when the enemy comes full throttle in your face, resist him because I can, in the name of Jesus, because he has to flee when you say Jesus' name. And I can cleanse and purify you from all sin. 
And that is the message of this beautiful book that he can cleanse and purify from all sin and fill us overflowing. So we slosh over with the Holy Spirit who is other oriented, agape love. So we shine like a candelabra and there's one shine where Sandra is and one where Vicky is and one just like we've got here in our, let me get it here because just like with Laura's thing. With the constant infilling to the constant overflowing. Oh, look. And then the sparkle and shine wherever we go, the presence of God comes. And there is a transformation in your personhood and my personhood. So we actually are recreated to be like Jesus. Now, this struck me. This is one of my props. I was reading in Amy Carmichael on December 15th. And this is my little cup because I can't get a new one because my whole life is in the margins of this, this, this devotional book. But in December 15th, Amy says, Colossians 3.12, clothe yourselves then. Oh, sounds like Colossians, Paul has read Zechariah, doesn't it? It's garment language to talk about the transformation. Then his chosen ones, his holy ones, his dearly beloved ones. That's God, how God sees you and me. In a heart of sympathy, in kindness, in lowliness, in gentleness, in tireless patience. The end of all true doing to death, which is when Galatians 2.20 said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is the great exchange, my sin-sick soul, for his love and his life. This is the end of all doing to death. Loving kindness, sympathy, gentleness, patience, and a life of uttermost love. Well, I went to Colossians 3, and I thought of Zechariah. And I, I thought, oh my, this is symbolic of your life and my life. Oh, let's see what's in here. Oh my, we will look and see. <laughs> oh, this is the fruit of your life and my life apart from grace. Oh, the first thing I read is the unholy trinity lives in this cardboard box. Me, myself, and I. Because without Jesus, I can't be holy. Then what else? The fruit of the unholy trinity, according to Colossians 3, 5. The first thing is pornea, fornication. The next thing is uncleanness. The next thing is passion. I want what I want when I want it. The next thing is evil concupiscence, 
which is I lust for something I shouldn't have and I cannot have, but I want it anyway. The next is covetousness. It's not only involves people and defrauding other people of their sexuality and their purity and their rights to meet needs in my life, but then it's, I want what you have physically, materialism. I'm not happy. I want more. Idolatry. Oh, blasphemy against God. I want to be God instead of God. Because, but we, even though I'm not omnipresent, omniscient, or omnipotent, I'm not even self-sustaining, self-originating, self-fulfilling, or self-completing. And I look inside myself and I lose myself because I don't know who I am or where I'm going because I am made for Jesus. And I'm only complete in him. Then those are sins of the flesh in my box. We're not even through. This is me without Jesus. Then he starts with sins of the spirit. Put off anger. Wrath. Malice. Blasphemy. And do you know what happens if this is the result of what's in my life? You know what comes out of my mouth? It's exactly what's in my heart. I talk filthy. And you and I can be listening on the news or listening to different things. And we, I am stunned at what comes out of people's mouths in high places. And it is an indication of what's in their heart. Filthy language comes out of their mouth. Then Paul says in Colossians, don't lie to one another. You can't have a relationship with God or with one another if there's no truth and there's no trust. Put off the old and put on the new garment language again. Be renewed in the knowledge of your mind, the turban. Get let God give you a new mind. Be renewed in the knowledge of the according to the image of him who created you so that Christ is all and in all. The glorious exchange. That's what's in every single one of us, apart from the blood of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Not one is immune. That's what it was talking about in the Revelation church. And then here is the glorious exchange. Can you see it? This is what Jesus is offering. He says, Bethany, would you like to give me this for this with all this yuck and give me this? Oh, yes. What's in my gift here? What would the exchange look like? Oh, oh, I'll just take out these little gold cards and I'll read them to you. As the chosen of God, holy, 
and beloved, tender, tender mercies, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. He changes us so we're no longer screecher creatures. Oh, what freedom. <laughs> that we bear with one another instead of saying, oh, she just gets on my nerves. That there's grace and we bear with one another. Oh, this is a novel one. When Jesus comes, we can forgive one another, even as Jesus forgave you and he forgave me. And then we can love, not my love or your love, but it's the Holy Ghost love. It's the love of Jesus who is love, that agape love, that other-oriented agape love where he pours, Romans 5, 5, he pours his love in and through you and me by the power of the Holy Spirit, symbolic in that candelabra where we have love for one another, which is the bond of perfection. So my orientation has changed for me, myself and I, to Jesus and then Jesus who indwells you and I, fills us with this Holy Spirit. Then I begin to care more about you than I care about myself. And there is an other oriented lifestyle that begins in my heart because of Jesus. And as I live like that, do you know what? I began to find who I am in him. I began to find my perfection and my fulfillment and my purpose. It's in Jesus. Not only is love, but peace. The peace of God will rule in your hearts and what you were called in one body. I found a marvelous verse to start this new year. It's in Job. And it's acquaint yourself with God and be at peace. It's Shalem. And he, that means, and it's Shalem. And it means he is our, he is our security, mind, body, and estate. He is our safe place. And thereby good will come. Is that not a beautiful verse? Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So we're not scared. We, he is our peace. Then be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So there's a hunger for the word put there by the incarnate word. And when the word dwells in you, filthy communication doesn't come out of my mouth. But wisdom, the capacity to teach and admonish one another. And this, this is the overflow. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in my heart. So every place you go, you and I, there's just singing. Because Jesus is there and it's the sloshing over. And then whatever you do in word and deed, whether you're vacuuming, washing the dishes, changing the baby's diaper, you're caring for your mother-in-law, you're going to Walmart, you're teaching Sunday school, or you're reading your Bible, everything is done in the name of the Lord. And you give thanks to him and all of it's eternal, even down to taking out the trash. The fruit of the spirit 
This is the Galatians part of this. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, <laughs> peace, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those who are in Christ Jesus have crucified. That means I've said, Jesus, I let you put the knife of the cross in my self-will, and I give you all of me for all of you. With its desires and its passions. And if we live in the spirit, then we walk in the spirit. Just like it talks about dressed in white. And he helps us to see the colors. He puts them on them so the colors are the right colors. And let us not be conceited, provoking or envying one another. Because so often it's interesting. It's interesting that Galatians closes the fifth chapter in verse 26 with that. Because so often, even after you and I have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and even after we're walking with God, the seducer of our souls and the accuser of our brethren will come to us and say, oh, oh, they get all the breaks and I don't get the ones that I need to get. And oh, why is God using them and not me? And oh, and we have to be on our guard and say, no, Jesus, no. The only desire of any of our hearts is that you are glorified and the only people see, things people see, is the glorious exchange of Jesus in me. Those are vision six, five, and six. And now we get to vision seven. Then I turned and raised my eyes and I look. And there were four chariots coming from between two mountains, and the mountains were bronze. And with the first chariot were red horses and black horses and white horses and dappled horses. Then I answered and I said to the angel, what are these? <laughs> and he said, these are the four spirits of heaven who go from their station before the Lord of the whole earth. The one with the dark horse goes to the north. The white goes to the south. The dappled goes to the south. Then the strong steeds went out, steeds went out and they walked throughout the earth. And he said, go walk throughout the earth. And they walked back and forth. And he called to me and said, see, they are going into the north country. And, um, and I have given, have given rest to my spirit in the north country. And what God is saying here, this is the vision similar to the very first vision in chapter one. And vision one, when God says, I'm pro-nobis. But remember, he sends them out and it's a reconnaissance mission. And he says, I'm in control. It doesn't look like I am, but I'm in control. Good word for all of us. But this one has been the judgment of God, and it's been the judgment of God on the Babylonians. 
so that, that they are no longer a people group and they are not a threat. The Medes and Persians are there, but the Babylonians, the judgment of God has come upon him. And so he says, so that's the, that vision. And then he said, then the word in nine came to me saying, receive the gift from the captives. And then he names these captives that have come from Babylon, Heldi, Tobiah, and Jedediah. And they have been released from Babylon after the captivity. They've come back and they're bearing gold and gifts to bring to the, temp to, to the people of God. And they bring them to Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, who must have been in charge of the treasury for the people of God and the temple of God that they were rebuilding. And he said, take the silver and gold. And he said, no, I don't want it to just go into the work of God. Do you know what I want it to do? I want you to bring a crown. And I want you to take that silver and gold and make a crown. And it may be more than one crown. And I want you to make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua. And you go, no, you don't put it on heads of priests. You put it on Zerubbabel. He's the governor. He said, oh, no, because this is a picture of Jesus, our high priest. And the crown will be on the head of Jesus. He is king and he is priest. He is the mediator between God and man. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the lord of hosts. And he said, and he says, behold the man. And he said, Joshua is symbolic of the Messiah who is coming, the Messiah who has come, and his name is Jesus. And he is called the branch. And from his life, and it is the Davidic branch of David from the kingly family, Jesus came and he shall build the temple. And just like Zerubbabel and Joshua would build the temple there after the captivity of Babylon, Jesus will build the priest king. He will build the people of God. And when you read Hebrews, you can see this spelled out in Hebrews so beautifully, where he talks about in, in, uh, and I love uh, Hebrews 11, 725, uh, 7.25, where he says, he is able to save to the uttermost those that come into God for him, for he ever liveth to intercede for us. Jesus is our high priest who can save us to the uttermost from our sins. So there doesn't have to be lying or stealing or cheating or all kinds of self-interest found in my heart. Jesus can set us free. He can give us squeaky clean hearts and he can set us free. Then the elaborate clown or crowns, he left as a memorial. What was the memorial for? It was for Helam, Tobiah, Jedediah, and Hen, which must be like a nickname for Je um, Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, for those there that had come out of the captivity and knew the glorious exchange of God. The glorious exchange of God. 
And he said, even those from afar shall come. Because the gospel's for the whole world. It's not just for you and me. It's for the whole world. Every nation, every kingdom, every tribe, every people group. The gospel is for the whole world and they will come and build the temple of God. But it is not just a physical temple. Jesus came to build the people of God, to prepare them here, to get ready for eternity when we will sit with him on his throne and reign with him forever. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. And you shall, it shall come to pass if you diligently obey. And in Hebrew, the word is Shema. If you hear the voice of the Lord. I want to know tonight. Have you, do you know the reality of the glorious exchange? Or are you still living with cardboard box religion? And according to that Revelation 3 passage, it's possible for us to be not cold or hot and think we're fine. It's possible for us not to be dressed in white and not to be walking with him. And it's possible for us, it says, I will not, those that are dressed in white, I will not blot their names out of the book of life. And I will, I will, um, what does it say? And I will tell, I will claim that the father, what does it say so beautifully? Let me just read it. And I will confess their names before my father and before the angels. Oh, Jesus will say, this is Bethy. You can come on in and feel, enjoy all the glories of who I am and all that I have provided for you. Your name's written right here in the book of life. Is that not a happy way to live? Is that not a happy way to live? I'm almost through. I shared with you the first week about how Jesus came at 18. And he said, and the enemy came too and said, can you trust me? Can you trust God? The same lies he gave. He's not very original. And then I had to look and see what Jesus had done in my life. And I thought, no, I'm going to trust him. But it was funny when I got in my 30s, late 30s, and I was very busy in Christian ministry with Al. And we had four kids then. And then we had lots of people coming and going. And I was doing all the right things for Jesus. Have you ever been there? But in some way, I had lost the love relationship with Jesus. Because the glorious exchange is his life and my life. And that I just enjoy Jesus. And he enjoys me. <laughs> it's the happiest thing. So I was in a discipleship group and I, I was leading it. And I said to Jesus, this group isn't going any place. 
And um, and he said, well, Beth, they can only go as far as the leader. And I said, I am the leader. I'll watch my pronouns. I am the leader. He said, I know. And then I went to a litany of all my works righteousness I was doing. I read and pray every day. I'm do I I I I went through my list. Jesus didn't say anything back. He just listened. And then I huffed away. Have you ever done that? But Jesus was a little tricky. Because do you know what? He put an incredible, insatiable hunger in my heart, like Kim talked about tonight, for himself. And, he's, and so after a few a period of time, I was taking a walk the back part of Vasbury and, and I came to an old oak tree and I threw myself down and I said, Jesus, whatever it takes, will you set me free? And I, I was a little bit so hard to live with, Al said to me, can't you go on a retreat and let God meet you so we can all enjoy life again? I said, oh, okay, is it that bad? Because we never know. Our families have to tell us. So I found myself at Shakertown. And I was there alone. And I opened my Bible by the providence of God. I didn't even know it was in the Bible, even though I had read it. Don't you love how we can use your word? His word. We have made lies our refuge. It's Isaiah 29, 15. And under falsehood, you have hidden yourself. I said, and God said, that's you. I said, it can't be Jesus. I don't lie. And he said, Beth, you can't see. Because you know what's happened? You're being controlled, not by my sweet Holy Spirit, but by your fears and your coping mechanisms. And I died to do more in your life than you're letting me do. I went home from that retreat, but I still hadn't really comprehended. It's a little bit like the stick figures of cricket, trying, but not quite getting it right. And in the providence of God, the end of August, I went to a retreat, like Steph talked about, or God met her at the summit. Is that a hemlock in? And I was desperate for Jesus to do something new with me. And when I got there was a little lady who said, you need to get to know that lady over there. She loves Jesus better than anybody I ever knew. I thought, ooh, I don't want to get near her. She scared me to death. But I watched her all night. 
And you've heard me say it again before, but I want to say it again. The next morning, in the love of Jesus, there was only one seat left at breakfast, and it was next to that lady. And I said, Jesus, what will I even say to her? And I sat down, and I started asking her about her kids and what. And all of a sudden, the pain in my heart and the sweetness in her heart from Jesus, I burst into tears, so hard, heaving, racking, sobbing tears. We had to leave and go to the porch. And I said, how do you know Jesus so well? And she said, I was doing the laundry. Don't you love God who comes in the laundry of life? And she said, I was taking a basket upstairs on the landing. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, Connie, I have many workers for me, but very few lovers of me. Connie, would you love me just for who I am, not for what I can do for you? And she said, I sat the basket down. Then I sat down and I thought, and I said, Jesus, you must have made me just like you because something in my heart longs to be loved not because i'm smart or not because i can do this or not because we have money or prestige or that or the other there's a longing in my soul will somebody just love me connie just because i'm connie and jesus said i will and connie said I said back, I will love you the same way. All in me, Jesus Christ, for all. And she said in that moment, on the landing, in my home, in Virginia, there was a glorious exchange. And as we prayed together, Jesus came to me. My life has never been the same again. And over my sink, I put the Westminster Confession. What is the chief end of men and women? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I want to know, and Zechariah wants to know, but more than that, Jesus wants to know. Are you enjoying Jesus? Jesus, would you come create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit, even in me? Would you let tonight and someone's life be the glorious exchange of all of them for all of Jesus? never to be the same again and forever to know how much Jesus loves them. He who died, you rose again and our names are written on your hands. Holy Spirit, thank you. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. We worship you tonight.
in Jesus' name. 